What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Walmart CEO Doug McMillan, his work as chair of the Business Roundtable, leading America's CEOs on the fight for equity. There's obviously a lot more work to do with everything that's going on from the pandemic to all of us trying to make sure the economy um, gets to where it needs to get to the election. We want to keep a spotlight on racial equity and keep the work moving forward and McMillan's message to Capitol Hill amid the stimulus stalemate. For both sides, I think what they need to keep in mind is that they're Americans that need them, that don't really care about what's happening in politics, aren't completely tied up in this election, and they just need some help. That interview plus coronavirus is rising in Europe. Cloud companies are rising in value and number, and Wells Fargo has had another fraud and firing scare. Who was doing the hiring at Wells Fargo for a number of years? I really did. I was like, holy God. It's Thursday, October 15th. It's also the Ides of October, and it's also 2020, still, fortunately. Squawk Pod begins right now. First up today on the pod, the fears of a COVID second wave. European countries are trying to head that off by reinstituting tougher restrictions. In the UK, Londoners are being told they will not be allowed to mix with other households indoors, and public transportation should be avoided. Yesterday, the government of France declared a state of emergency, giving it powers to institute a curfew from 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. in Paris and major cities. It will be in place for four weeks. The number of people hospitalized with COVID in France passed a threshold of 9,100 for the first time since June. Back home here in the U.S., average daily cases were up by more than 5% in 40 states in the District of Columbia. And the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has already announced that Halloween trick-or-treating is considered a high-risk event and should be avoided. Let's get to Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Here's Joe. Is it just me or when you... For me, I'm still surprised when I hear, all right, we're reclosing bars. And it's like... Right. Well... (laughs) Bars were open and and you're wondering, I just, that's not, we haven't, can you go to, I just can't imagine. I don't know whether. You can go to a bar here. You can go to a bar here. I've seen them. You have to be, you have to be outside. You have to be insane. Um, Oh, you mean you have to be outside. Right. You have to be outside. Um, Uh, I I haven't been to one, but I've seen other people when I've driven by. Go ahead, Andrew. But part of the issue, guys, is that because of the lockdowns that they did pursue, you know, three, four months ago, they were actually able to put some of this to rest for a while. Now, clearly not enough, but that's what allowed people to go back to bars. I'm not suggesting uh, that that's necessarily no, the right move for us here in the United States. But, but it, was, it was partially because of the discipline that they had then that then allowed them to, frankly, become undisciplined now. The EU has now passed the United States on a rolling average on cases per million people. So they're back. We've done a little bit better since there coming down here, but now we're seeing... You know, we're, we almost met up there at, at a higher level. So uh, we're in the middle. We're in the middle of this. But, but I, I would, just myself, uh, if I, I feel people uh, around me, I, you know, there's an elevator here. And 
Every once in a while, I might go up for it because there's a new uh, espresso machine. And I, if there's someone else on the elevator, I feel it. I don't, I, I'll take the next one. I mean, it really is a weird feeling. I have there dreams. are stairs. Huh? I come down there the stairs. stairs there. I come down the stairs sometimes. <laughs> I, I let gravity, gravity is my friend. Uh, but in certain cases, it's, it has not been my friend. Uh, anyway. Shares of cloud computing service Fastly are plunging this morning. The company lowered its third quarter guidance. It said its largest customer's usage of its platform did not meet expectations because of geopolitical uncertainty. That large customer was previously disclosed to be TikTok, accounting for about 12% of Fastly's revenue in the first six months of the year. That stock is down by 29% this morning. And guys, I do have a question about this. I mean, I know there was so much uncertainty surrounding TikTok, but did it actually lower usage? I mean, there were these threats to shut it down. If anything, it seemed like maybe more people were downloading it to try and get ahead of what would be a potential stoppage of being allowed to do that. Not, not I, I finally seen a few of the lip syncing, you know, just average people lip syncing. I, I don't understand it yet. Uh, I'm, I'm open to uh, to being sold on how great it is. But uh, so, yeah, Andrew, my, you you, are, you have still not produced. You've seen TikTok, but you haven't produced the TikTok. Is right. that still the current? I have not produced any TikToks. I, I think the answer to Becky's question is it. It did both, actually. In many people, ways, it yeah, created uh, more exposure for TikTok. Get out of the way first. But at the same, yeah. but at the same time, a lot of the big influencers, and maybe this was going to happen anyway. A lot of the big influencers set up shops independently on the real, what's called now Reels, on Instagram, and so they're they're running both of their their platforms or handles, oftentimes with the same content in both places now. So to some degree, Instagram was a beneficiary of this whole back and forth, uh, though I think I, TikTok I may have become a beneficiary, being the beneficiary. too. I, I get the Instagram being the beneficiary. I just, it, I, were teenagers actually not using it because they were worried the Trump administration was going to shut it down? I mean, that's what, I, I, it, it, it would baffle oh, no, no, me. I think that, no, no, it's just, numbers. I think that those, no, I just think, think that those teenagers, some of those teenagers ended up staying on TikTok, but also setting up shop elsewhere at the same time, and because of that are now maybe using some of the Instagram using and Facebook time. services in ways that they might not have otherwise. Yeah. Well, That's interesting. I, I, was, I was just thinking, and I'd like to poll you guys on this. I just, you know, we were just talking about Fastly, the cloud company, and we had Twilly, the cloud company, on yesterday, and we had an IPO recently of a cloud company. And for me, I'm having trouble picking my favorite cloud company. And I'm just wondering, Andrew, well, do don't, you... Don't forget IBM rolling off its cloud, cloud services. But, but do you have a favorite... Can you distinguish between the cloud companies, and do you have a favorite that is the best cloud company, Andrew? Which one do you think uh, really? I don't. I don't, I don't there's really so like many. To, Who's to not a? It's easier to pick know. a non-cloud company. I, I, I think there's. Uh, I mean, it's very lucrative. Well, and it, by it, the it, end it, of it, we're going to be a cloud company. I know. By the end I of it, like, we're going we're, yeah. to be a uh, a non-linear TV network. Uh, living on Peacock. Peacock, to some degree, is a cloud company. Okay. That's my favorite then. You came up with it right there. You just hit it. You just, uh, okay. You did that for me. Uh, and with fantastic. Wells Fargo firing more than 100 employees for allegedly defrauding a federal pandemic relief program. Multiple reports now saying the bank, can you believe this? They determined that former staffers knowingly defrauded the Small Business Administration by falsely applying for COVID-19 relief funds for themselves. And this is a, a story that uh, doesn't help uh, the reputation of Wells Fargo, which has uh, been uh, 
a reputational mess, sadly, for now several years. Becky. Yeah. I think this is different than some of those situations. I mean, in the past, it was bad employee behavior, but it was bad employee behavior that was incentivized and ignored by management. In this case, we knew that there were going to be fraud. There would be cases of fraud that, that people would abuse the system when there was so much money being handed out. Uh, in this case, I'd give kudos to the bank for finding those employees, ferreting them out, and getting rid of them. And, you know, I, this is very different than the stuff that they've gotten dinged for in the past, which I think management was blind and, you know, intentionally put on blinders to the bad behavior that was taking place. I, there. I, I still, when I read it, I was like, who was doing the hiring at Wells Fargo for a number of years? I really did. I was like, holy my God. I mean, yeah. um, what was the, I mean, you could, you could have a skit about that almost. On I mean, when a, a candidate comes in, I mean, what, what are you looking for? I mean, you look Paul? pretty sneaky. I just think you look pretty sneaky. You're Joe, higher. I'm with you. I mean, at at a hun at a, at, with a hundred of these people, it's, yeah, it's one thing hundred. to give them credit for. How many were doing it, the accounts? That, I think I still got a couple of accounts. Right. Well, no, I'm kidding. I don't. But, um, you know, that I never opened. But that was a great idea. I mean, you know, having been a stockbroker, if you could open accounts, it was so hard because you had to make so many calls. Yeah. If you could just open them in the phone book, just... Hey, this guy looks good. Uh, he's got an account. He's got yeah, an account. Was, he's a huge problem. No question. Huge problem with what Wells Fargo was doing. And by the way, they ignored it for years. Their system was set up to incentivize some of those things going right. through. But I just think the corporate that, culture might have been. Than, yeah, the corporate culture might have been lacks, an issue, though. For sure. Yeah. yeah Seems that's a point. Um, worth pointing out, by the way, and, 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 and this, this may make Becky's point to some degree. Uh, J.P. Morgan had a, uh, not a problem, I don't think, at this issue. level in terms of this number, but there were people yeah. at J.P. Morgan that they ended up firing that, that were involved with fraud as well. I just think the, the level and extent of the number of people involved, at least it, what, from the outside, from what it appears on, on Wells Fargo, seems so extreme. You have to think that there's some kind of cultural, uh, cultural problem uh, at play here. Those are fair points. Those are fair points, and it does bring up questions. This is about school. Undergraduate enrollment actually fell this fall by 4%. It was dragged down by a 16% drop in first-year students. The biggest drop actually came in freshman enrollment in community colleges, which were down by nearly 23%. The National Student Clearinghouse Research Center, which compiled this data, said that strained family finances was probably the biggest factor in the community college drop. By contrast, enrollment in graduate programs actually increased by nearly 3%. You can guess that probably people thought maybe staying in school was a better idea than trying to get out there and find a job in, in the midst of the mess that we've seen. Yeah. I don't know. I, college was so great. Remember, it was, it was the last time, you know, really nothing's expected of you except studying, grades, you know, at, <laughs> at, at, at least. And, and it is a great four years, obviously, and, and I feel bad. I feel bad for people that are... I mean, I, I used to think it'd be a semester. Now it looks like a year, and I hope that's it. And even high school, you know, senior year, I feel bad for you know, my sons. It's like, it's at home. It's, it's just, it's difficult. It's sad. You're missing out on some of the, you know, no. we didn't appreciate it After as missing much. everything their junior back, year, yeah, too. I don't think we appreciated yeah. it as much back then and how, how great it really was, uh, you know, really, yeah. to... Uh, now things are expected of us. Unfortunately, we never do in the moment. That's the saddest part, right? Right. Youth is wasted on the young, Andrew. Next on Squawk Pod, Walmart CEO Doug McMillan pushing for social justice and social media. Social commerce, which has really taken off even more in, in China, is a really interesting new dimension of retail. It's a discovery opportunity. We think we could delight some customers with this front-end, back-end experience um, partnering with ByteDance. 
Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. For centuries, people of color in the United States have fought for economic and social equality. And in June of this year, as civil unrest broke out across the country and protesters grieved black Americans killed by police, America's corporate leaders faced nearly unprecedented pressure to join them in that fight. Since June, business leaders have mourned Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, and countless other black Americans, and they've called on their peers to act, many of them on Squawk Box. Here's Melody Hobson, co-CEO of Ariel, the largest African-American-owned investment firm in the U.S. The role of the CEO and the role of the corporation has changed. And while many might want to sit out these issues, they can't. They literally can't. The Business Roundtable, a nonprofit comprised exclusively of American CEOs, also challenged the corporate community to step up. And many of those BRT CEOs made that appeal directly to CNBC's audience. Ken Frazier, CEO of pharma company Merck. This African-American man who could be me or any other African-American man is being treated as less than human. In good times when the community is quiet, we can ignore it. We can go about doing what we believe is in our economic self-interest. But in the long run, what's in our enlightened economic self-interest is that for all Americans to feel like they're participants in our economy. Randall Stevenson, chairman of AT&T. Free markets don't work in an environment where a large class of our people are perceiving and experiencing injustice. Marriott's CEO, Arnie Sorensen. Will not let up on this. I think our employee bases demand it. I think society demands it. And CEO of Johnson & Johnson, Alex Gorski. Just as in business, when we take on any issue, there should be a plan, there should be objectives, there should be accountabilities, responsibilities. Today, after four months of work, the Business Roundtable announced actual policy recommendations to keep themselves accountable. To promote racial equality and economic justice, the leaders of America's biggest businesses have an ambitious slate of initiatives hitting on finance, criminal justice, education, healthcare, and much more. Here's Becky Quick with BRT Chairman, also CEO of the largest brick-and-mortar retailer in the U.S., Walmart, Doug McMillan. Doug, it's good to see you. Thanks for being with us this morning. Thank you. We spoke with you about all of this, this initiative, what the BRT was looking into over the summer, and uh, you have found some, made some progress, and you're here to tell us about that. Where, where do things stand right now? What have you all kind of learned after looking into this a little more deeply? Yeah, sure. Um, we kicked things off in June, and as you may remember, we asked CEOs that are members of the BRT to take on a look at several systems, complex systems that exist in the country. and start to understand why all too often inequities are being generated. So we had leaders take a look at the financial system, employment system, housing, um, health care, education. The Equitable Justice Committee looked at criminal justice and policing reform. People like Craig Arnold, uh, Randall Stevenson before he retired, Mary Barra, Arnie Sorensen, Robert Smith, Jamie Dimon, Alex Gorski, uh, Chuck Robbins has been great. Um, along with other CEOs, they worked together and went through over the last few months looking at 
policies and what companies do, um, how government works, and today we're generating a report sharing our findings. And it does focus on what we, the businesses, can do, in particular large businesses, but hopefully there's some ideas in there for smaller businesses as well. But also some policy recommendations in each one of these areas to try and create an outcome where we have a more equitable system. I, I would say we've learned a lot, talked to over 100 different experts, and we don't see this as the end, Becky. We see this as an update on what we've learned and recommendations that we are making to the country and for ourselves. Um, but there is obviously a lot more work to do. With everything that's going on from the pandemic to all of us trying to make sure the economy um, gets to where it needs to get to the election, we want to keep a spotlight on racial equity and keep the work moving forward. What are one or two of, of the recommendations that you came away with for, for big employers, things that uh, you and other companies can do? Yeah, you know, you've got to start at home and start with the work that we're doing. There's a, a lot of agreement that we should increase transparency, share more data. Um, companies are putting out more metrics more often, which helps with accountability. Everyone's looking at our hiring practices, our promotional practices, pay equity, making commitments as it relates to that. Looking at the board structure and composition, um, executive management, the associate base overall, trying to make sure that all of our systems that exist within these companies generate, um, like in our case in Walmart, a company that looks like America because that's what we serve. So if you look at our board or you look at executive management, that's what we want to see in time. And in terms of the public policy initiatives, obviously, when a group like the Business Roundtable gets behind it and says that this is something we want, if you flex your muscle and, and really push that uh, with, with legislators, it, it could make some progress. What are maybe one or two of the biggest public policy initiatives that you all will be pushing for as a result of this? Yeah, we, we hope so. I mean, one easy one is the digital divide. We've got to figure out how to get broadband access to rural markets and uh, many urban centers so that we have the opportunity for our young people to learn. Um, during the course of this year, we've all seen what's happened. Um, our sales of laptops at Walmart and, I mean, all of the, the challenges that people have had as it relates to education. Um, there are other things that we can do to change some of the uh, federal housing rules. Um, really, it comes down to communities, Becky. And if you looked at this from a system view, all of these systems, the education system, the finance system, they end up landing in a community. So if you just think of a place, what are the ingredients that are there that change the outcomes so that when someone's born, the zip code that they're born in does not dictate their future? That's, that's how these things need to come together and work. And there are a lot of policy recommendations in the report that we're publishing today. And people can find it on the Business Roundtable website. We hope that you'll go read it. Doug, I want to ask you about how Americans are doing overall right now. And, and at Walmart, you probably have a better idea than just about anybody in terms of the consumer. Walmart sales make up about 10% of overall U.S. retail sales. What are you seeing right now from the consumer? And what does that tell you about their, their health? Yeah, as it relates to the kind of challenging side, I think what we see is the separation and the stimulus conversation comes to mind. We need to make sure that we're getting support to the families that need it. Um, some people are struggling more than others. We've got to identify them and get them the help that they need. Small business continues to be a big area of focus. We've got to make sure that these small businesses can come back online to a greater degree than what it's currently looking like and then obviously take care of some of the bigger industries like the airline industry. Um, consumers, though, are finding ways to have some joy. Um, you know, we've got um, Halloween coming up, and people are buying Halloween costumes. Um, I think there's going to be a, a celebration of Christmas and the other holidays that will be strong as people are at home. 
Um, I think that, that feeling of safety and togetherness, people are still searching for ways to have as much normalcy as they can. Doing that in terms of spending on some of those things that, that aren't absolute necessities, but how, how do you kind of break down just what, what the health of the consumer is right now? Are, are people feeling flush still like they were just a few months ago when we spoke to you? Um, not everyone's in the same camp. I mean, there are people that are still being at home more, spending money on their home and, and doing things to redecorate and those kinds of things. But there are other people that are struggling paycheck to paycheck if they have a paycheck. And so many people are unemployed that we're seeing that pressure as well. So it's really a spectrum. You know, it always is. But this moment in time has more separation in it in terms of how people are feeling and behaving than we would normally see. Hey, Doug, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about the supply chain. You know, last time I think we talked to you, we were talking about how it's very hard to buy a bicycle still uh, or, um, you know, uh, a gym equipment. Uh, what, what kind of stuff is now back in stock that wasn't and what kind of stuff isn't still? Yeah, Andrew, the things with longer lead times have been a bit more challenging. Um, and then from time to time, you'll see a community that's got an, an increase in cases and you see more stock up behavior again. In general, things are getting better. Um, week to week, we're shipping more than we're selling. Lately, that was not always the case. And so we're seeing things improve. But if I could change one thing about our business right now, it would be to have an even higher in-stock level. We're trying to make sure we're ready to go all the way through Christmas and beyond, but we've still got some recovery to do. Doug, the, the, only, the only other thing I wanted to ask you was, you know, clearly you're, you're capturing business that had, or at least some business that had been going to Amazon, uh, which, in, you know, Amazon, obviously one of your biggest competitors, I, I imagine, but uh, there, there are things that they couldn't ship. And I think people started to look to you and to look to Target in, in place in ways that they didn't before. The question is, do you think that those are new customers that are sustainable customers? Or do you think that in a, a, uh, a post-pandemic world or in a world where the supply chain is complete again, uh, that, things, that things revert? And how do you keep them? Yeah, throughout this year and even before, um, we were seeing store traffic, kind of our core customer business, be, be strong. And we were starting to attract a lot of new customers because of new services that we offer. Um, customers want to save time. They love the pickup business. They're taking advantage in an increasing way of delivery from our super centers in addition to the delivery that we do from our e-commerce fulfillment centers. And that's growing. So we do have a nice mix of new customers that have come our way this year and, and some before. And we hope, of course, to retain them. The experience that they have, the value they find, that'll dictate it. Um, the Walmart Plus membership is also one tactic that we have to try to build some loyalty and, and solidify that relationship and make it easier for you to shop. Um, it's no mystery what people want, what customers and families want. They want an incredibly broad assortment of high quality merchandise at a terrific value. And they want the experience to be as frictionless, simple, and easy as it can be. And whether it's us or our competition, if we keep them top of mind and do everything we can to make those things happen better than anybody else, then, then we'll be able to keep those new customers. And that's what we're focused on. You guys have to continue to do things differently because of COVID. And, and I know that Black Friday is going to look uh, quite a bit different this year than it has in years past. There's not going to be the doorbusters or maybe the lines of people trying to get in. How, how are you managing it this year? Basically, Becky, we're spreading it out and more of it will be online. Um, we want to keep people safe. That's been our priority this year. Our associates safe, our customers safe. 
One way to do that is to move more of the items to online only, but we will have some in stores as well, and hopefully we do a good job of communicating to customers what's what. We're obviously very focused on that. We've broken it into three events that are staged throughout the, the month of November, kind of the beginning, middle, and end of the month. There will still be a feeling for those that wanted to come, want to come into our stores of a Black Friday experience. It'll be with fewer items, um, and we'll manage uh, from a safety point of view, things differently given COVID as we have been all year. PPE, facial covering, social distancing. We use our parking lots more for pickup. You know what? I think customers are going to like it. I think they're going to find great values at Walmart. I think they're going to find it more convenient. And for some of them and for us, that one big spike wasn't the best way to, to run the business. We had to do it because that's what customers want to experience. It's a tradition to go out on that weekend, and we'll still have some of that. But the idea of smoothing this out may be something that, that sticks and lasts post-pandemic because people find that they enjoy it even more. Hey, Doug, I want to go back to Andrew's question about the supply chain. You said if there was one thing you would change, it's that you would have much more supply at this point. Where, where are the problems? Where, where are the real crunch spots? And, and, and why is it so tough to get things still? Yeah, it's really widespread. It's not just one category. Um, demand is just high for things that people are, are needing at home. So we still have out of stocks and things related to the home categories. Consumables have gotten better. You know, the paper categories has improved. Hand sanitizers have improved. Facial coverings, not as concerned about that. Um, good recovery in grocery, not really worried about what's happening in, in fresh grocery. We've been strong on fruit and veg all the way through. The protein categories like steaks are in, are in pretty good shape. It's more around, you know, sporadic across the store. You may find that we're not as in stock on crafts and fabrics as we should be. There have been some toys that we've been out of stock on. Um, so those are the things that, that disappoint us, but we're working on them. And I think if you walked through a store with me today, you'd feel better, of course, than you, than you would have a month or two ago. But we would still be able to point to an item here or there that's not fully back in stock. At the Business Roundtable, you all surveyed, I think, 150 of the CEOs of the biggest companies in America just to see how they're feeling right now, how they're feeling in terms of confidence. I think they're feeling a little more confident than they had been, but you're still talking about uh, incredibly low levels, maybe the lowest levels in about a decade. Is that accurate? You know, there's still a lot of uncertainty. So, yeah, I think that's how people are feeling, and that's what showed up. Um, it's hard to call. You know, a number of companies, including ours, have, have withdrawn our um, forecast looking forward because of that lack of certainty. So we're all kind of managing this situation week to week, month to month, um, and not quite as long term in some ways as we would normally be. So I think as visibility starts to improve, hopefully with progress on the vaccines and other things, we can start to have more confidence. I do think some level of stimulus now and, and maybe even in the future that's really targeted, sensible, practical, may be needed to address what I described earlier, which is this separation in our economy. You have um, encouraged the congressional leaders and, and the administration to come back to the table. It does seem like Treasury Secretary Mnuchin has been making some broader offers on that, but it does not look like they are any closer to a deal. In fact, Treasury Secretary Mnuchin says that he and Nancy Pelosi are, are still very far apart when it comes to this. What message would you give to him and, and what message would you give to Nancy Pelosi? Yeah, for, for both sides, I think what they need to keep in mind is that they're Americans that need them. Um, that don't really care about what's happening in politics, you know, aren't completely tied up in this election, and they just need some help. Um, these small businesses need help. And so 
you know, if they can get something done that would help those groups, I think that would be fantastic and much needed. And, and then if something needs to be done in the future, we can come back and talk about that. But doing nothing is not the first and best option. The CEOs that you surveyed also think that the longer this goes on, the more permanent damage there is to the United States. Do you have any way of measuring that, of kind of showing that? Um, how, how do you all come to that conclusion? And, and how would you present that information to those in Washington who are making these decisions right now? Yeah, I think small and medium business in particular is, is why we're feeling that way. Um, there are companies that have resources, companies that have um, been able to weather this storm better than others, but it's those you know, that have suffered. It's, it's the mom and pop restaurants of the country that we're really worried about, and, and they drive so much of the economy. Um, we need them. We need them as customers. We all need them just from a societal point of view. That's, that's part of what we love about living in this country is, is how vital small business is. And so that's, that's where that comes from. Nancy Pelosi has said that she'd like to wait and see more. And we've had senators that have accused her of not wanting to do anything before the election. I, I think Treasury Secretary Mnuchin himself has, for the first time, kind of implied the same thing, said the same thing. Would you want them to wait for the perfect or you want them to just get this out and get something done? It's better to get something done and then come back and make adjustments. You know, we're going to be trying to solve these problems beyond just these next few months and next year. And so making steps, collaborating, working together, reaching some middle ground on some of these issues, and then evaluating, watching the data, that makes more sense. You know, if, if I were running, uh, think of this like running a business, that's the way we would approach it. Um, you, you make decisions that are, that are clearly the best decisions. They may not be completely to where you need to get to, but you come back later, recalibrate, make another decision. I think that's the way that, that, uh, that I would recommend that they approach it. There has been um, uh, so much drama surrounding the TikTok deal with, with you and Oracle, with Walmart expected to get a 7.5% stake in this, you going on the board potentially of TikTok. But there has been so much drama and so, mu so many politics uh, kind of inserted around that, too. Uh, where do things stand? And, and do you even know at this point? <laughs> it has received a lot of, of coverage. I think maybe what I should start with is why would we be interested? Um, the digital front end of retail of commerce is changing. And, you know, we participate uh, with a digital front end with our own app. But we also exist on Facebook and Instagram and Google search and all of these things are ways to reach customers and be part of someone's life and sell things, which is what we do as a business. And social commerce, which has really taken off even more in, in China, is a really interesting new dimension of retail. It's a discovery opportunity. So if you're watching a TikTok video and somebody's got a piece of apparel or an item on it that you really like, if you, what if you could just quickly purchase that item? And that's, that's what we're seeing happen in countries around the world. And it's intriguing to us, and we would like to be part of it. So our focus in our conversations with ByteDance are just around that. It's around e-commerce. It's around fulfillment services. Because if you click on that garment that you want to buy, and it takes two weeks to get there, that's not a very good experience. So how could we help with a supply chain, a back end, that makes the whole experience terrific, not just the moment that you, that you buy the item, but how all of it goes. So fulfillment, payment, um, maybe as a service, along with just selling things to our first party and third party marketplaces, the idea. So that's the partnership that we want to reach. Obviously, all national security concerns from governments have to be addressed. 
we're not in those conversations. So like you, we're watching to see what happens there. But should there be a path where that can be taken care of and people are satisfied, we think we could delight some customers with this front-end, back-end experience um, partnering with ByteDance. So those, those conversations continue. Don't have any update beyond that. Okay. Doug, thank you for your time today. It's really great to see you, and uh, we appreciate it. Thank you all. Mm -hmm. By the way, we should mention that uh, Doug is being honored tonight at the Executive Leadership Virtual uh, Executive Leadership Council's Virtual Gala. He'll be receiving their 2020 Corporate Leadership Award there tonight. Squawk Pod. We'll be right back. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until that presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? <clears throat> the real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. That's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe is the only anchor regularly in studio at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. And keeping it safe, he avoids crowded elevators and sticks to the stairs. Gravity is my friend, but in certain cases, it has not been my friend. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod. If you like listening to this podcast, please share with friends and tell us what you think. We're on Twitter at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Earning your degree online doesn't mean you have to go about it alone. At Capella University, we're here to support you when you're ready. From enrollment counselors who get to know you and your goals, to academic coaches who can help you form a plan to stay on track. We care about your success and are dedicated to helping you pursue your goals. Going back to school is a big step, but having support at every step of your academic journey can make a big difference. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.